to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Those of you who have your Bibles, you're welcome to open at Daniel chapter 4. I just want to read you a, a little something there and share a quick word from that. And I <clears throat> just want to remind you the the reason we... Um, you know, some, some people um, find it strange that we share a word at a, a worship evening, but I, I w- honestly would find it quite strange if we didn't. <laughs> because uh, we, we tend to stereotype worship as just singing in the modern church. And, and worship is so much more than just singing. Our fellowship beforehand is worship. Singing certainly is worship, or, sh- or should be. <laughs> uh, our prayers worship. Our, uh, you, can, you can listen to the word, as I share it now, as worship. If it, if it touches your heart and inspires your heart, to, to rise to God and to give thanks to Him and to magnify Him, then, then you, you're listening in, with, in worship to the Word of God. Uh, and the Word of God is bringing forth worship in you. And um, <clears throat> you can go out on Monday and work. Your work can be worshipped. Did you know that the, one of the words for worship or the word for worship in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is same word that is used for work? You know that. Sometimes it's translated worship, sometimes it's translated work. Makes you think about what you do nine to five during the week, doesn't it? Even that we can do. Or I mean, all of that we should be able to do as worship unto the Lord. Amen. So I just want to encourage you with that. Um, <clears throat> just want to start off by reading. I'm going to read a few verses from Daniel chapter four, but I'm just going to read the first three or so verses. Uh, it says, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Now, this is one of the few parts of the Old Testament. In, you, some of you might know the New Testament was written in Greek originally, Old Testament in Hebrew. But this is a, a, uh, one of the few parts in the Old Testament that was actually written in Aramaic, which is a close cu- cousin of Hebrew, and written by King Nebuchadnezzar, a, a Gentile king. So he's writing here and he's, say, he's writing this sort of letter to, to his whole kingdom, sort of an open letter to his whole kingdom. And he says, um, It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders of the Most High God that the Most High God has done for me. I want you to remember that little phrase that he has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in my bed and the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Um, And we see in this letter, this open letter to the whole empire, it wasn't just a kingdom, it was an empire of Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar writes, that, he's worshiped, that he worships God. I mean, you, you read that and that's like serious worship. But in the rest of the chapter, he recounts 
that it was not always so. He did not always worship God in that way. And um, it's interesting, it starts off, he says, I was in my, in my house, in my palace, and I was prospering. Everything was fine. In fact, everything in his kingdom was great. The only thing wrong in his life was this dream that he had that troubled him. I mean, would that it would be so in South Africa that the only thing wrong would be a dream. <laughs> but um, uh, it, it then tells a story of how he didn't worship God and how things came about that ended in him actually worshiping God. But I, I just want to, I heard this week, I heard a story of, uh, of uh, King Louis Fourteenth. Who of you know, uh, know of King Louis Fourteenth? Who of you know the more popular name he's known by? Louis Louis the Great. Louis the Great. At the end of his life, he was, he was a king in um, France. And uh, Louis XIV, a very prosperous king in many ways. And at the end of his life, he decided, uh, or towards the end of his life, he decided that people must call him Louis the Great. He wants people to call him Louis the Great. And, um, you know, he gave instructions about his funeral because he was he's getting on in years and, and so on. And he said he, he wants to be buried in Notre Dame, you know, the, the, the beautiful cathedral. And he wants his uh, cast to come in and he wants all the candles in, in the cathedral out. And he just wants one big candle on his casket and it must be lit. Because he's Louis the Great. <laughs> And he wants uh, a famous, uh, you know, the great court preacher, uh, Musulon, to preach the sermon and to do his, his funeral for him. And everything happened exactly as he said. You know, all the candles were put out. A big, massive candle was put on his casket. It was lit and it was brought in with great procession, great pomp into, you know, Notre Dame, the great cathedral. <clears throat> Very impressive. And Musulon, uh, you know... His time came to preach, and he started going up. In, in the, it was a cathedral, so that in those days they had these, these high pulpits that you had to ascend, you know. So he started ascending the pulpit, and he sort of looked back, and he saw the casket with a, with a um, candle on it, and it just didn't seem right to him. So he turned around, he walked down, and he, with great uh, state, you know, with, with you know, dignity, he walked up to the casket and blew out the candle. <laughs> and he, he walked back up. To um, you know, ascended the the pulpit, opened his Bible, and he started his sermon by saying, "Only God is great. Only God is great." And I think Louis the Fourteenth, or Louis the Great, as he liked to call himself, had the same problem that King Nebuchadnezzar had, as we'll see. He thought, wow, you know, I am the man. <laughs> Look at me. Look at my kingdom that I have built. Look at my success that I have accomplished. I am the man. I am great. And he discovered during this chapter of Daniel chapter 4 that same thing that uh, Muslim said at um, Louis XIV's funeral. Only God is great. Now... <clears throat> In uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse, let me just go to verse 26. Uh, what, what happens, I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's too long, but what happens, he has this dream, it's about a tree, a massive tree, 
animals live under it, the birds of the air, you know, make nests in it, and it reaches to the heavens, and it's a massive tree visible to the ends of the earth. And then the decree goes out that this tree must be chopped down and tall, you know, branches torn off, and it must be cut down to the ground. Only its stump must be left in the ground. And he asks all his wise men, and they sort of, and he asked them before, and they couldn't give the answer, you know, before in, in previous chapters to, to, to an interpretation he needed. Uh, but he asked them again, you know, he goes back to his occultic, you know, practitioners and so on. And um, he, he asked them, and they probably knew this was not a, a good dream, so they refused to give any interpretation. So he eventually calls Daniel, who by now is made the chief ma- magician, you know, the, the uh, sort of the... the the leader of all his interpreters and so on. He says, Daniel, you come and interpret. And he tells Daniel the dream. And Daniel is very alarmed and he's quiet for a while and he's thinking and, and, and he's like not very happy about this. And he says, oh king, may, the, may this dream be for those you hate and for your enemies. <laughs> because he realizes that not a good dream. And he, he says to him, you know, you are that tree. You'll be cut down and you will basically lose your mind go in, you know, flee from human society and become like an animal in the wilderness and for seven seasons you'll live like an animal you know, a mindless animal you'll lose your sanity, you'll live like a mindless animal and the, the dew of, of heaven will, will wet you and your, your hair will become like, like an eagle's feathers and your, your nails will become like bird's claws until seven seasons have passed over you, until you acknowledge that God is the sovereign king and that he gives the kingdoms of this earth to whom he wants. And in fact, that, that phrase, that, that saying is, is repeated three times in the chapter, I think. And um, in the end of, of it, um, he says, um, as it was commanded to leave a stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So he says, you know, repent. You know, the, the, you know if, you, if you repent, if you turn from your wicked ways, maybe God will relent like he did with, with Nineveh, like he did so many other times when people repented. And it says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. Now notice, after the dream and after the interpretation and after the warning, 12 months have passed. And he has not repented. Nothing has changed. He has not heeded the warning. And it says, and the king answered and said, listen to this. Listen to what he says. Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Wow. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, 
the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. His nails were like bird's claws. And um, <clears throat> what we see here is, um, you know, God always comes and in his mercy he warns. But God will not stand pride. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And King Nebuchadnezzar was exceedingly proud. I mean, he looked at this great empire and he said, has not my mighty power built all this and established it for my majesty, for the glory of my majesty? Very full of himself. And... Um, <clears throat> All that was warned came true. And then in verse 34 it says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for, for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and lords sought me and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, this great king this, of this great empire who ruled many nations from Europe, from Egypt, in fact, all the way through you know, to Russia. He ruled. He said, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And... Um, it's interesting, you know, if you go to verse 34 and just notice the, the order of what it says. It says, at the end of the, uh, of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High God. Notice the order there. What happened? He lifted his eyes to heaven. That's the first thing he did. He lifted his eyes to heaven. He lifted his eyes to God. He looked up to God. Whereas... Before he looked at himself, he was like navel-gazing, I am the man. He was very impressed with himself. After those seven periods, which are probably seven years, of madness, eating grass like a cow, <laughs> he looked away from himself and he lifted his eyes to heaven. And the result of that was twofold. Number one, his reason returned to him. He got his sanity back. And it's interesting to me that that is... Basically, exactly what Paul says as well um, in, in Romans chapter, chapter 1. Let me just read a, a quick portion of that. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became Futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that are made like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. 
Can you see the, the same link that Paul makes between worshipping God and thanking God and having a sound mind? Worshipping God is the most sane thing we can do. Worshipping God is the most sane thing we can do. When we look honestly at creation, there's no way we can say that there's no God if we think right about creation. I mean, no one will look at Mount Rushmore and say, over millions of years, through a lot of water and wind erosion, this rock was chipped away and eventually these faces were formed into the rock, these faces of U.S. presidents. You look at that and you know there's no way a random process can create such specified complexity. There's clear design in it. And if we look at Mount Rushmore and say that, how much more if we look to us, our human bodies, or the creation that God has made? How do you know there's a builder? Well, if there's a building, there must be a builder. The building is sufficient evidence of the builder. And um, Paul says, if we look at God, look at creation, with sound minds, we will see God in it. And we'll worship God for it and we'll thank God for it. And that's the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar experienced. He said, I, I looked up to heaven and my, my reason returned to me. You know, that, that means that our sanity... We shouldn't take it for granted. Even our sanity is a gift from God. You know, when, Roman, when Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says that God upholds creation by the word of his power, that includes our sanity. We are sane because God holds our minds together. And if he lets go, he can let us drop like Nebuchadnezzar into insanity. Our sanity is a gift from God. And he says... I looked up to heaven, my reason returned to me, and I worshipped the God, the Most High God. I honored Him and I, and, I, and I praised Him. Now, uh, he knew, like, like the people spoken about by Paul in, in Romans 1, he, this, he says, even though they knew God, they did not worship Him as God, nor did they give thanks. Now, Nebuchadnezzar knew God. Just in the previous chapter, go and read it, is that well-known portion of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. People always re- forget their names. If you want to remember them, you can talk about your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. Okay? And we know, all know the story about how he, the, the three of them were leaders, you know, officials in Babylon. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar made this massive, I can't remember how big it was, but it was massive golden statue. And, and, and when the music started to play, they were all, all the leaders were supposed to fall down and worship the statue. And Yorshak, Myshak, and a bungalow refused to do that. And they said, hang on, whoa, 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 stop the bus. You guys that didn't bow down, come here. Stand here. And they stood there. You have one more chance. When the music starts to play, you better bow down and worship or else you're going to die by the decree of the king. Music started to play. They just stood there and said, we refuse to bow down to any other god. And the king was angry. He had them brought before him and he said, do you know that I am the king? Do you know that I have power over you to throw you into the fiery furnace? And it's amazing how they address him. They say, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. So they're not disrespectful towards him. They still, you know, honor him and are still respectful to, towards him. But they say, 
our God is able to save us from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will worship no other God. That is true worship. And the king was so angry, commanded the furnace to be heated seven times over. So much so that the soldiers throwing the, the extra wooden stuff into the furnace burnt to death. And the, the soldiers who actually chucked them into the, the furnace burned to death. And we know the story of what happened. The king looks into the furnace and he says to his officials, Hang on, hang on, guys. Look, look there. Didn't we throw three guys into the fire? They say, yes, king, we did. And they say, but, but aren't there four guys? Now, I see four guys. Do you see four guys? I see four guys. I say, yes, there are four guys. And he said, oh. <laughs> then all of a sudden he addresses them with respect to, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. <laughs> and, he, and, and all the officials gather around. They can imagine, you know, a fiery furnace that you've just seen. It, it works because it just burned a bunch of soldiers to death. Okay, so it clearly works, you know. And, and here come these guys walking out of the fiery furnace. And all the officials are gathering around and like, what's going on here? They're like touching their hair and their hair isn't even singed. Their clothes don't even smell like, like smoke. And, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, now I know that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the most high God, is truly God. And he gives a decree over the whole land that no one may speak anything against their God. So he knows their God. He knows the true God. He knows that He's the only one who can save. He knows how powerful He is. He's seen it firsthand. He's seen the miracle. And yet, He doesn't give glory to God. He's still, just like we say in Afrikaans, a blasa eobiel. Say, look at the kingdom my might has established. And God says, we'll see about that. And, um, in the end, he says, in, at the very end of that chapter, I just want to read that last, last verse again, because it's so beautiful, especially coming from Nebuchadnezzar, especially knowing what happened in the rest of the chapter. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. So he's saying, I'm a king, but I have a king too, that I submit to, the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. I know. Ask me. I know. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And, and I think that's the main thing that prevents us from worshiping God is pride. In the end, we think we know better. We think we're right. We think. And you know, God creates worshipers by humbling the proud. Like he did with Nebuchadnezzar. He creates worshipers by humbling the proud. Now, I just want to go back... Um, in closing, with, with, with that perspective, just read again the first few verses of the chapter. I just want you to l- listen to them in, in uh, the context of the, of the rest of the chapter. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. You hear what he says? He says, seem good to me to show, to, to tell you guys my entire en- empire. And that was the whole known world of that time heard about what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the previous chapter, but now they heard what happened in the next chapter to King Nebuchadnezzar. They knew, the whole world knew about Yahweh, the God of the Jews. That's amazing. And yet, so few believe. But, but listen to what he says. He says, 
I want to tell you what the Most High God did for me. You know, in the light of the rest of the chapter, I, I would have rather wrote, if I were him, I want to tell you about what the Most High God did to me. And yet he writes, I want to tell you about what the Most High God did for me. God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the world. Do you realize that what God does to you, He does for you? Have you gotten that revelation that King Nebuchadnezzar received? That what God does to you, He does for you. I want to tell you about what the Most High God did for me. He drove me insane. He drove me away from human society. He made me eat grass like an ox. He made me live like an animal for seven years. He humbled me. I want to tell you what the Most High God did for me. If that happened to most people, I don't think they'll brag about it and say, testimony time, I'm going to tell you about what God did for me. But I think that's an amazing testimony. God humbles the proud. God creates worshippers by humbling the proud. To know that He is God. No one can stay His hand. He does whatever He wants to. And not only that, what He does is right. What He does is right. It's just. It's good. Amen.